Dude, I, I love your show, by the way. I learn from every single guest. I pick up nuggets. I don't necessarily agree with everyone's strategy, and I'm sure they don't agree with mine. But I would say that it's been one of the best podcasts I've ever tapped into because I get so many different perspectives. And that's why I'm here, because I think this is a really a nice golden nugget that doesn't really apply to everybody, but it can benefit some people because it's sort of a hidden secret in an IRS rule. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to want to raise the bar on my lifestyle. I just don't want to be somebody's slave anymore. I just want to hang it up and enjoy life because it's short. So he said, yep, you can do it. You can make more than what you make now and still not deplete the principal and be okay. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 305. Stace? You've been thinking about this all week, haven't you? What's going on in your world? No, I haven't been thinking about it all week, but I think we need to clear the air because we got in trouble last, you got in trouble. It's your podcast. I'm guilty by association, but I think we should clear the air. We got in trouble for the audio on the intro last week. Why don't you spill the beans? I know. Sorry, everybody. I'm going to hold myself more accountable. Stacy too, because she's going to be permanent fixture on this podcast. So hopefully we're trying to negotiate still trying to bring her in. Everybody keeps asking for, her. you should see the reviews, the emails I get. They're all asking for you. They really are. I've showed you. It's ridiculous. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a complete amateur. <laughs> Says the one who's actually had formal media and communication training and essentially communicates with the public and people on TV and all sorts of stuff for a living. At any rate, the deal, sorry, everybody. We were, when that was recorded, we'd just gotten done with the road to Hana and we, internet, audio, the situation was not planned. We drove the back road to, on the way back from Hana. Where's the road to Hana? In Hawaii, in Maui. And yeah, I, 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 I don't have an excuse. It's just the situation. Yeah, we had to record it outside. Kids were sleeping in our all-shared hotel room that night. So we don't want to wake anyone up. It had been a long day and uh, tried recording outside, which didn't go quite as well. So sorry about that in Jace's behalf because this is his podcast and not mine. But I probably suggested it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is I tried to take a month off from the podcast and a few other things in terms of like being fully engaged, doing interviews, editing and all that stuff and, and kind of doing a reset now that I've kind of transitioned away from the, you know, Clark is a co-host and a few other things and on the business side and everything else. So July was kind of a nice reset month and uh, yeah, that one I forgot to do and we ended up just kind of doing it real quick and dropping it in the night, like literally probably an hour before the podcast aired. And, uh, that was not planned. So apologize for that. It's not my microphone. I have one of the best microphones on the market. I will mention too, another part of this is the software and a few of the things that we use and tools that we use. Uh, one of them in particular is no longer supported. And we just got notified of that about 
two, three months ago, maybe. And some of these interviews were recorded prior to that kind of announcement or right around, because uh, we kind of try to stay about a month to two months behind. So at any rate, I switched over to a, a different platform and uh, seemed to not have any of those kinds of issues anymore. But that's neither here nor there, but that's the scoop. And I, I do apologize. I'll hold myself more accountable to, to audio quality for y'all. Uh, and I won't record when I'm on the way back from the road to Hana next time if we go back. So yeah, Stace, permanent fixture on the podcast going forward. What do you say? I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, I'm in. You just got to tell me more than five minutes ahead of the interview, which <laughs> it has happened. It has happened mid-interview. I have gotten a text mid-interview to come in, <laughs> but I'm happy to know. I, I love doing this. It's a good time. I definitely don't know what I'm talking about nearly as much as Jace, but I think I can ask questions that those of you who weren't uh, born in the finance world might have. So I have a great time. I never run out of questions and I always got something to ask. So thanks. Uh, thanks anyone who has been on an interview with me. I've not done that many of them, but I did do another one last week. So we'll see when, when those come up again. Yeah. Thanks for anyone who was patient with me, especially with the first couple <laughs> that I did that were interviewing with us. So anyway, I feel better now and, uh, and it's always a good time. So anytime you want to have me on, here I am. She's signing the contract. She's, I'm giving her the pen right now. It's a done deal. There's literally no pen here, but you have my verbal commitment. Here you go. There's the pen. <laughs> I'm going to read a review real quick. Actually, you probably should let Stacy read this one because it has her name in it. So, Stace, I'll let you read this one. This is embarrassing. I'm just here for the jokes. Okay. All right. This is Jay Beetle 3 says, has become my favorite personal finance podcast. Nothing will open... Nothing will more open your eyes to the many ways to wealth and financial freedom than this show. The addition of Stacy, host's wife, oh gosh, <laughs> has added value in my opinion. While she doesn't ask many questions, <laughs> they often take the conversation in new interesting directions. Guests are mostly well-spoken and seem to enjoy sharing their unique journeys. Thank you, Jay Beetle. I will keep my questions at a minimum. Now, you're going to get more, more engaged questions. It's going to be great. So... Look for more of Stacy in the future. All right, all right. Anyway, so today, a couple things. We've got a few other business items. All right, so today, we're doing a little something different. As you know, Factor's been a great supporter of the show recently, and I'm a big fan myself. I've got two free boxes to give out, about a $78 value, they say. The way we're going to do this, leave it a rating and review on iTunes. Send me the screenshot to millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. That'll enter you into the drawing. Probably do this for a few weeks because I know I have a few listeners out there that tend to wait and binge once a month uh, on either all four or five episodes. So we'll leave it out there for a few weeks and uh, yeah, then we'll uh, choose random for the two winners here to get a free box of Factor. Appreciate Factor uh, throwing those in uh, to the listeners. It's been uh, it's been a great partnership with them. If you're interested to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll get you set up, get you scheduled. Uh, to those that have scheduled, I know the schedule is getting booked uh, far into the fall, but uh, there's still a few time slots open. And uh, yeah, getting excited for several of the upcoming interviews. We've got some great ones in the pipeline today. We've got... Uh, Xerxes. In fact, he's worth a little over $8 million as of the recording. 
And since the recording, his net worth, which is actually only a couple months ago, but his net worth has ballooned uh, to over $10 million, uh, as of recent. And so great interview with him. He, he, he started out in sales and then worked in, in uh, a couple different capacities over the, the last few years, but really was, was able to, uh, to hit, hit it big, I guess, if you will, uh, as of the last few years with, with one, a few stocks that he had been invested in, uh, that, you know, had some significant gains. So we talk about that and paying a massive tax bill, uh, all at once that he was not accustomed to and, and whatnot. So, yeah, about 60% is in his traditional IRA, which is where a majority of these gains have come. He has about $1.3 million in real estate. He's got a little bit in cash, uh, $660,000 uh, in his uh, Roth IRA, and then uh, some land and a few other personal assets and some other smaller accounts. So a few notes that Xerxes shared with me to uh, hit decamillionaire deca status that he's heavily invested in a battery technology company and in Innovix. It's ENVX as a ticker across many of his stock portfolios, which has gained quite a bit of momentum. And uh, he's priced a, ended up placing a new tenant in his vacant suite in his building. And then he also put in some higher rents uh, across the building after he put in some improvements in. So that. Uh, those things have kind of uh, pushed him over the the decamillionaire mark. I was going to read a, one other note from his email to me. Uh, he was writing this to me from Italy, so hopefully you're still enjoying Italy. If if not, or if you're back already, uh, hope you had a great time. Said P.S. For the first time in my life, I splurged and paid extra. Economy tickets were bought with miles and no cash. He paid extra to upgrade round trip nonstop flights for my daughter and him to Polaris business business class on United. Fly from San Francisco to Rome. It's a feeling I'm still not fully used to and still uncomfortable to spend the money, but I did, and it was well worth it. She is 17, and I recognize how precious my time with her is at the moment. It's all about experiences versus things. Ciao for now, Xerxes. Appreciate you sharing that, Xerxes, and congrats on hitting the decamillionaire status. That is fantastic. it be a great interview with him. Before I get going, though, and before we start talking to Xerxes, I got to make mention last week, the internet blew up over Meredith, all y'all single guys that keep writing me. And uh, yeah, I might just get into the matchmaking business. I don't know. This is interesting, but we've had so many people write in. I know the episode was uh, was amazing with her. And uh, yeah, y'all are throwing your name in the hat trying to get trying to get matchmaking uh, with Meredith. So I uh, appreciate that. And I think she's had a good time with it as well. Meredith, enjoy the dates. Maybe. A lot of these people don't live near her. And I don't know how down she is for it. But she threw it out there on the podcast, on the interview. So yeah, good. Uh, today, actually, Xerxes is actually single as well. So I don't know how many ladies are out there listening single that are trying. But you know, he threw his name out there too. Got a bunch of single people recently on the podcast, which is kind of interesting. But Without any further delay, let's get into the interview today with Xerxes. Xerxes, do you want to just give us about your background and what you're up to now? So I'm 55 years old, uh, father of a 17-year-old daughter and a dog, uh, divorced. I am currently single. I live in Northern California, and I no longer work. Awesome. And what did you do for work previously? A bulk of my career path was sales. Um, and then sales and marketing, business development, and then eventually became estimating at a construction company. Um, that was my last job. 
Wow, that's quite the uh, the gamut there. I want to get into that. But before we do, what's your net worth today? Um, as of today, which I updated it for you this afternoon, because market had a heck of a downward ride the last couple of days. Um, Eight point two million, and I'm not including uh, $133,000 invested in a startup company that might blow up into something significant, or it could just completely disappear. Um, you know, vast majority of startups don't make it, so I'm not including it in the number. Um, and I'm also kind of being conservative with the real estate numbers because of banking issues. Okay. And how is that broken up? Okay. So I have in my taxable account, it's dwindled lately. Uh, not long ago, it was a couple of hundred thousand dollars, but it, right now it's 68K. Um, I have another taxable trade account um, that is extraction of rental income from my investment property so i'm putting that to work and hopefully growing it um so that but i'm keeping it separate so i can keep tabs on my performance um and that's forty-five thousand. um i have an hsa with 38k um i have a traditional ira that i just recently rolled over from a simple ira uh that's 90k uh, from my last employer I have a Roth IRA of today's worth is 440000 um, And then I have a traditional IRA, which is also my income stream. And that today is at uh, $5,092,000, or almost $5.1. Um, I have a $40,000 note with a startup. Um, so that I'm including because it's a note, not a uh, it's a convertible note, and it's forty thousand, and it's going to have a seven percent return. Uh, between my car and my uh, camper teardrop camper that I go out and adventure with, one hundred and thirty k is I'm estimating. Um, and then real estate is about twenty six percent of my total portfolio, uh, and that's uh, a piece of land that I have where I happen to be vacationing right now. It's valued conservatively at 300k my personal residence 800k and then the uh, investment property that i bought a year and a half ago almost two years ago um 1.1 million it's a medical building and then i have fifty-seven thousand dollars crypto about 20k in cash laying around and then the 133,000 in that uh, startup that i'm not including in the 8.22 Wow, you've got uh, quite the mix here. Let's uh, let's dive in this a little bit. So I want to start with the the big one, the IRA, which is a significant portion. How is that invested now? And maybe give our listeners a little bit of an idea on how that came about. You know, um, it is a basket of somewhere around thirty one to thirty two stocks that I manage. Um, about twenty five or so of them. Twenty eight of them probably, and I should have probably written all this stuff down, but that's fairly close, are dividend paying stocks in different um, sectors. Uh, recently, I'm dabbling, I'm trying to find some uh, diamonds in the rough in the REITs because some of them are solid and they're being punished for no reason. And I think they offer very, um, very attractive dividends right now. Um, so I have, you know, Consumers, uh, cyclicals, utilities, AT&T, Verizon, um, very solid companies. I just started accumulating Johnson & Johnson. I have some 3M and on and on. But I do also play a little bit of options in there. 
And I also have loaded up, actually, my largest holding is not a dividend-paying stock. It's a fairly startup-type company that has huge potential, and I'm accumulating it right now because I think it's going to be a triple in about 18 months. So um, as things mature, I spread it back into the dividend payers because my goal is to get to well over half a million a year passive income out of this account. Why, why did you decide on these 31 or 32 stocks? You know, it, it really literally started with seven. Um, when I sold out of this one particular stock that I put all my eggs in one basket, um, and, you know, as people tell you, you shouldn't, but in my particular situation, it worked out amazingly well. Um, so I started with seven and as they, uh, went up, and the dividend yields drop because of that. And I found other opportunities. I would take things off the table and spread it elsewhere. So I'll give you an example. I bought Broadcom at 368. And I just recently sold that in the 600s while collecting a 3 to 4% dividend. I grew over three years that I owned it. They kept raising the dividend every year. I collected the, the dividend. And once I had 101% return on the capital, I thought, hey, don't get too greedy, um, move on. And I decided to spread it out. How did you get such a large IRA in the first place? <laughs> Great question. So I was, I went to work for Sears in my, was I 19 or 20? Somewhere around there. And by the time I was 21, I met an old school Sears appliance salesman who, was, who had been there for 35 years. You know, and back then Sears was like a big deal. Uh, suit and ties, pensions, health plans, 401ks with profit sharing. And this gentleman who unfortunately has passed on, he really took me under his wing to teach me about investing for retirement and trading stocks, doing it outside of the retirement. And I became very intrigued and very interested in learning. So any opportunity I got, I picked his brain uh, along with anybody else's brain I could uh, pick. And at that time, I was a college dropout. So, so uh, you haven't had uh, someone who is a stock picker in quite a while. Do you basic you you have quite a few different vehicles? You know, you have a tax, you have a couple taxable accounts. You have a couple different types of IRAs. Are you spreading out your stock choices between those or? The smaller ones that, that are not the five million dollar, I'm still doing the stock trading in there as well. Or do you have something more generic in those? I um, actively manage all the accounts. Um, so my and each of them have different purposes with different goals and different objectives. So the IRA, the big IRA's objective right now is to provide me with a stream of income. Um, so I draw about 132000 a year out of my IRA to live off of, but it generates 245 I think. Sorry, 345 in dividend income. So my HSA is a small version of the same thing. I'm, I've chosen to go with dividend income because I do need to go see my dentist or see my doctor and pay a copay. And it's nice to have a stream of money coming in. So that generates a couple of thousand dollars a year. It's almost good enough to cover my medical expenses. I don't have that much expenses in my daughters. So those are the dividend focused accounts, whereas my trade account is more about 
growth. My buildings account is more about growth. And frankly, I don't want capital gains there. So uh, I'm sorry, I want capital gains there because I've had capital uh, losses uh, in the recent times. So I am trying to recapture that and take advantage of the tax break that I can get uh, because I've had some losses in the last year or so. Um, do you do you use any of the new like tax har- harvesting options now or do you use like a traditional account? I've been looking into this myself. So I'm curious. You know, th- that's a great question, Brad. And I think that's great for people who are getting started. Um, I think at this point for me, I pretty have a good handle on it. I've been trading since, you know, when you had to call your broker, Dean Witter Reynolds, and he sat in a mahogany <laughs> office and you had to wait half an hour for him to pick up the call because he had a way more important client to talk to while the stock price was fluctuating. And he took a 10% cut of whatever you put into. It was ridiculous. So I go way back to that era. Um, and now I do everything on the fly. I do it while I'm hiking with my dog. I do it when I pull over on my bicycle on a 40 mile ride and whip out my phone and make a couple of trades or see how my trades have executed or not. Um, so I don't really do the tax thing very much. I just keep tabs on how much losses I have for the particular year and I try to manage it. And I have a CPA that um, you know gives me a good synopsis of what I'm looking at and what should we aim for the following year. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. It's great. Um, okay, so before we transition off of uh, talking about stocks, I do. You did mention you're you're looking into REITs right now. Um, I just started doing the same research, um, mm-hmm. and I was just curious, what is your kind of investment thesis when it comes to REITs at, at the moment? So you definitely want to look at the sector they're in first and foremost, in my opinion. Uh, for example, some of the areas that I think are sort of a miss for investors right now. And, you know, they're punishing all of them in the same stroke of paintbrush. Uh, I'll give you an example. SL Green, um, they do office buildings, which is hated right now with COVID because there's so much vacancy out there. But most of their portfolios in Manhattan and they're all occupied. And these are big corporations with no plans to vacate those spaces. That stock was somewhere around ninety hundred dollars or so if i if i'm not taking and i think you can buy today at 22 and capture somewhere around a 13 percent dividend yield will they cut the dividend sure it's possible but you know the way i look at it is if i build a basket that's giving me 350k a year in, uh, in stream of cash flow even if 30 percent of that goes away I'm still going to save a couple hundred thousand dollars a year after I withdraw my income money. So by spreading it, being just diversified and doing your research on the right REIT, I think you can find some diamonds in the rough. Very interesting. What do you think about the bigger REITs? Like, Do you fo- focus more on the smaller, lower right, or names that maybe people aren't as aware of? Or do you also balance it out with like the pro logistics of the world? Um, honestly, you, you're talking some stuff that I'd, it's over my head maybe, but, um, I've been focusing on medical mainly because I've, I feel like hospitals and medical buildings are not going to go away. Um, just because 
you know, you got to see people and you got to uh, examine them. You got to have procedures done. So that is never going to be done through Zoom as much as people think it will be. Some of it might be, but not all of it. And then select key markets. Um, like office and retail is something that I would be a little bit cautious about right now um, until we have better clarity with banking and financing and tighter lending. But in general, I just do a, a better research and kind of have a feel for what I'm doing. And now, and I'll be honest, I bought SL Green a little too early and I'm, you know, down maybe 10, 20%, but I'm also collecting 12, 13% dividend. And I have a feeling it's going to bounce back. There's another one I own uh, called Medical Properties. It's also been severely punished, similar situation. And then there's another company called uh, uh, Stag, S-T-A-G, and they specialize in warehouses and more industrial um, uh, logistics kind of uh, spaces, and they're doing extremely well. They just got added to the S&P 500 today. Well, very interesting. I think it's a great transition into asking about your real estate uh, investments. You mentioned you have land and your primary residence, but you also have an investment property in a medical office. Did you take the same thesis from your REIT strategy and apply it to a physical property, or was it a completely coincidental opportunity? So it's the other way around. I bought the building way before I got into REITs. I think the building made me realize that the REITs are a good idea. And how I arrived at the building was my trade account that only has 79,000 and it was 60, what was it today? 68,000 I think was the balance today. That account after I retired only had about $600,000 in it. After I purchased my car, did all the improvements to my home, paid off the mortgage. That $600,000 account blew up by 2021, early 21, to 4.2 million. So literally that account has done a round trip of being 60, $70,000 worth in 2016 to exactly that today. But it has paid off my mortgage, purchased me a nice car, uh, a trailer, a piece of land, and a medical building. How I arrived at the medical building was I was looking to diversify into real estate. Initially, I was looking to build my dream home on that piece of land that I own, where I happen to be at today. And I decided it's going to tie up over a million dollars for an extended period of time. And that's not really good ROI. So I decided to start looking for uh, real estate. And I quickly realized that housing to me felt overpriced and frothy. So I started focusing on um, COVID punished uh, commercial, but I didn't feel comfortable with retail, didn't comfortable feel comfortable with office building. And I had this light bulb go off in my head that medical people need to go see their doctor. They need to take their dog in, they, all this stuff. So I found this building that had two uh, tenants. One was a tech company that catered to dentists and the bigger uh, tenant was a veterinarian and with 14 years of history the tech company had been there for only three uh, six years or something like that so i felt comfortable and then i did some um, research on lending because i wanted to see should i borrow the money or should i buy it cash and because of covid two lenders that i talked to they both said don't try to sign a deal for a 30 or 90 day close because the banks are taking six months to fund what that immediately told me was cash is king. 
and I can negotiate a killer deal if I come to the table with a cash deal because these guys know that they're not going to want to be tied up in this transaction for six months. Uh, so much uncertainty with uh, COVID. And they were asking $1.2 million, and I picked it up for $1 million. And then I took that extra money and dumped it back into the building because they had neglected it pretty badly. They inherited it from their dad and used it as an ATM, didn't really put any of the money back into the building. So um, I made sure that it was up to snuff and a nice place for people to come to work and to be able to raise the rent someday, you know. And that's worked out really well. And I can dive into that a little bit more later if you'd like. Yeah, bef- before we do, you, you've had all this kind of success with your with your traditional accounts, but you're also retired before traditional retirement age. And one thing that we were discussing a little before the show was how you basically structured your lifestyle around withdrawing from some of that and then living on some of this this income that comes from from this medical building. So I'd be curious to, to dive in a little bit on the strategy that you're using to, to tap the, that, those IRAs before you're 59 and a half and why you chose to do so. Right. Um, so honestly, I, I love your show, by the way. I learn from every single guest. I pick up nuggets. I don't necessarily agree with everyone's strategy, and I'm sure they don't agree with mine. But I would say that it's been one of the best podcasts I've ever tapped into because I get so many different perspectives. And that's why I'm here, because I think this is a really nice golden nugget that doesn't really apply to everybody, but it can benefit some people because it's sort of a hidden secret in an IRS rule. So I had about a 3.2 million net worth in August of 2019. And I had this question mark over my head going, man, can I just hang it up and not work for people anymore? Because I'm really tired of it. I went to see my friend who is a, an, an investment uh, advisor with Edward Jones. And I gave him my portfolio of investments. And at the time, I didn't have the simple IRA, didn't have the HSA, all the little accounts, but I had 3.2 combined. Gave it to him and I said, hey, can I retire? Can you look at that? So he said, give me a couple of days. Let me look at it. Let's have another meeting. So we did. And he said, you know, depends on how much you need um, and what kind of lifestyle you want. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to want to raise the bar on my lifestyle. I just don't want to be somebody's slave anymore. I just want to hang it up and enjoy life because it's short. So he said, yep, you can do it. You can make more than what you make now and still not deplete the principle and be okay. But in that meeting, he put me in touch with a tax guy who really was amazingly knowledgeable. And I had an hour consult with him, or maybe a half hour. And in the conversation, he said, man, your IRA is pretty good size. Have you thought about doing um, the SEPP? I'm like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, it's a substantial equal portion payment. And it's an IRS rule. You file a form called 72T, and the T is in parentheses. And this particular form, you're making a commitment to take the exact same amount of money out of that account per the uh, IRS's calculator. And they have three different calculators, and you can choose which math. And you need to withdraw either that amount or something lower. But scary thing about committing to this is that you cannot change a thing about this once you sign up for it because once you do like if you accidentally put two dollars into that account as a deposit the irs can go back to the date of the withdrawals and 
penalize you 10% for all the years that you've been withdrawing. So you need to be really careful that your plans don't change. Nothing devastating is going to come up um, in your finances and your lifestyle is not going to change and that you can stick to this program. And then the other rule is you have to stick to this until um, at least five years or until you're 59 and a half. In my case was going to be 59 and a half because I did this when I was 51. Whichever is later is what they uh, stipulate. Um, so I signed up for it. And, you know, the math of the calculator was 150 something, I think. And I said, I'll take out 132. And then my goal was to generate twice as much as that in dividends. And I've already exceeded that. So I feel like I'm still saving a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, which is great. Man, that's pretty, pretty crazy. And I don't think we have had a guest on the show that has utilized the, the 72T as, as far as retiring early, planning to. When you hit 59 and a half, do you plan to adjust that at all? Or does your strategy change? Great question. Um, and I've thought about that a lot. Um, prefer, I'm probably going to loosen up a little bit and not stick to the 132K that I take out now. Although I have rental income now from the building too, so I don't know if I necessarily need to increase that, but I probably will. But knowing me, I'll never take out as much as it generates. I'll probably want it to grow and uh, continue to grow. How did you arrive at the 132? Um, 11 grand a month. I felt like that was good. Um, I was <laughs> I was making it my job, 100k a year. So I knew I. Um, got rid of my mortgage, but then I also knew that I was gonna have a hefty medical bill or medical premium bill um, for myself and my daughter that was gonna only increase year over year because that's how it is, unfortunately, in our uh, society. And so I figured that 30% increase in pay will offset the inflation slash medical premium increases until I get to 59 and a half. What I didn't count on is buying a building. So that really helped along the way because that gave me additional infusion of cash and income. And, and where did you get the money to buy that building again? It was that trade account that went from 600K after retiring to 4.2 million. Wow. And I had to write, I had to give IRS in the state of California 1.7 million, 1.7 plus. It was like 1.750 in taxes in 2021 for the year of 2020. So that account depleted quickly because it was I owed so much taxes on it. It was all short-term gains, taxed to the max. <laughs> I literally had to cut it in half in taxes. But then I had over $2 million left. So I decided to buy the land that I bought for $230,000, which is now I'm conservatively estimating three hundred k, And then I bought the uh, medical building for just with the expenses that I paid out of pocket, it was a little bit over $1 million, but the purchase price was $1 million. Gotcha. So for, for I mean, walk me through just the mindset and the psychology of you've, you've made, call it $100K in, in you know, your last job or whatever. You've decided to pay off your house. I mean, what is it like writing a check for a tax bill that's a significant amount of money? I mean, it's what you probably made over decades 
in one fell swoop all of a sudden because you made so much in that investment account. Oh, you're so spot on, Jace. It's so funny. I literally, literally had a shaky hand and a vomiting feeling when I was transferring the money electronically to the IRS that day. I literally was having a pukey feeling. I, I can't even explain it. It was not fun. And, and what I'm, I'm skipping over so much detail because it was so much head spinning detail that went on from 2018 to 22, those four years. I mean, I went from having to drive a hand-me-down car, Toyota Corolla, that had mold in the trunk uh, for my brother, just so I could make ends meet. To fast forward two years later, uh, three years later, I'm writing my check to the IRS. It was insane. And I, I should preface this. In 2019, I had losses um, that I had carried over well beyond what my life expectancy would take to wipe out at three grand um, a year that the IRS lets you write off against your income. So in 2019, I paid about a half a million taxes for that year. And in 20, I paid 1.7. And then I had to get a CPA because I went from TurboTax guy in 2019 to, hey, I need some professional help here. I don't know if I'm going to get myself in trouble and I don't want to go to jail for doing something stupid. Um, so my tax guy, he was his mind was blown. He had no idea what SEPP was. I had to educate him on what that was. But one of the great things that I did was hiring him because not only he helped me with that, um, making sure my taxes were done correctly, he got me on a quarterly payment program because what I also didn't know is that when you make that kind of money, you got to pay quarterly taxes. And I hadn't been. So I had to pay some penalties, which was nominal. But he got, a, he got me all caught up and cleaned up. And he actually, um, and if you want to touch on that later, he played a big role in me buying the medical building too, which had to do with depreciations and so forth. And we can talk about that too if you like. So Xerxes, when you come into that kind of money, and I, I have to say you gave me some PTSD talking about uh, writing that check to the IRS. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you had predicted it earlier, and this is kind of a question that I ask a lot of investors, is it, would you have been more uh, or done more in your tax planning? Or would you just keep doing what you're doing? Because you're clearly really good what you're doing and you just factor in that you're going to have to pay taxes. It's, it's you know, part of your your job really is stock picking. And, you know, do you, or, or would you have had more tax strategy or tax planning, you know, hindsight 2020. Yeah. So the really smart people have that tax planning thing down. It, this just went too quick and too, I don't know. It was mainly a lot of options. I had options in um, a company that I made most of my money in, Enphase Energy, which is a solar company. They make inverters for the back of the panel. Um, but they, but I also loaded up on options in that account. So what happened was I, I put a I did a, something crazy. I put a couple of hundred thousand dollars in options of Enphase and then Tesla. And literally one day, both of them had an earnings uh, report. And the next day, I made a million dollars. And the next day, I made another million dollars. Granted, the third day, I gave 750 of that back in you know sell-offs. But it, it, it just, it was one of those things that it was happening too quick, too fast. And I wasn't trying to be greedy. I just had conviction. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, if I could manage to pay the IRS five hundred thousand instead of one point seven and change, of course I would have liked to keep that one point two million. <laughs> but so yeah, to answer well, your question, I I think I would have managed it 
better if I could, but it was a cash account, short positions, short term positions, short term holds. Uh, so I had to pay the taxes. That makes sense. So, okay, walk me through day one and day two. Were you just sitting there like biting your nails, like watching <laughs> the ticker, like a, like a Gordon Gecko kind of thing? Or, you know, like what was going through your head at that moment? Oh, um, so I was an estimator for a construction company and I was working on a two, $3 million project in my office, looking at the blueprints. And I just sat there and I couldn't even concentrate. I I'm like, I, what am I doing here? And that's when I decided to give notice. I made an appointment with uh, the owner of the company who happens to be a friend. He's the CEO. And I said, Hey, let's have coffee tomorrow. If you have a few minutes agreed. And I told him, Hey, I got to get out. <laughs> I'm not doing you any good because I can't concentrate on my job. I was looking at my phone every other minute to see the fluctuation of the prices. It was nuts. I went out to a really nice sushi dinner that night and the next night. (laughs) So, yeah, it was crazy. It was surreal and it still is surreal to this day. So, wait, you didn't didn't go to lunch with him and say, I made a million dollars while I was working in your office. (laughs) I was nice enough to not just walk out. (laughs) You know, sounds like, you know, it sounds like office space, you know, like how they, right. they, they change the algorithm and then he's, they're making all this money. I mean, you just had an office space scenario. That's, that's unbelievable. I think if I would have told him that story, he would have been the guy with a sledgehammer and the printer in that movie <laughs> because he was still going to be stuck there and I was going to leave. Samir Naeen on a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my only question. I mean, that's, that's an unbelievable story. That's my, that's my last question, Jace. I, I don't know how you can go past making 2 million in two days and, and walking out on your job. It's about as good a story as it gets. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, wild, man. I, I, <laughs> I tried to give him a six-month notice. That didn't work out too well because, A, I couldn't concentrate. (laughs) And, B, they were dragging their feet to hire someone. And I saw it coming a month later. I'm like, we got to shorten this thing. So Because I'm not really helping you guys. I'm so checked out. So we shortened it. I I went to them 1st of August in 2020. I'm sorry, 1st of February 2020 for a second meeting. I'd given notice in January of 2020 for six months. And I went back and I said, nope. Let's shorten it. They're like, you give us a date. I said, 28th of February. I said, okay. And then COVID hits a week later, which was, that's another crazy story of how that transition went. Because I just thought, oh, I'm going to go travel and I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do that. And then I was in a cage. So that was kind of a weird experience on its own. Wow. So what's interesting is we had our interview, G sold her company. And then we had an interview this week with, Xerxes and you know they both had these windfalls and what she said was she made herself take six months to you know before she spent any of the money right like a cooling off period well Xerxes had one just by coincidence because he basically had this windfall and he quit his job and then COVID hit so he can't go baller style and go travel the world he had to sit on his money (laughs) so my question to you Xerxes was, was that better or worse for you because you're a trader, right? So now you're home with just your computer and nothing else to do. Or did it allow you that space to have that cooling off period? Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you asked the question because I truly believe the reason I was able to blow up that trade account from 600K to 4.2 million, which bought me the land and the medical building and so forth, was the fact that I no longer was sitting in an office trying to do a job and look at my stocks and trade when I can. I was 100% focused, doing a lot more research. And, you know, I had a screen with CNBC on, I had my computer on, I was Googling stuff, looking at financial statements. 
and making trades. So I think it contributed, COVID contributed two ways to my wealth blow up. Uh, one was the market got annihilated and that gave me op- opportunities to buy cheap and leverage with options, which kind of skyrocketed the, le- uh, the returns. And then the second thing was the fact that I was super concentrated on what I was doing. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes that you've purchased? <laughs> Probably hiking boots, 120 bucks. Okay. What about the uh, most expensive meal out that you've paid for? I wrote that one down. I think it was when I took my wedding, uh, when I got married, I got married in Kauai and 10 total guests, including myself and the bride, somewhere around twelve, thirteen hundred dollars $1,300. Okay. What about the uh, most expensive uh, car that you've purchased? So I'll give you a quick little story about behind that, which is the Tesla Model X that I purchased um, after I canceled the Model Y because they offered free supercharging. And I'm like, hey, you have the money. It's part of your retirement program to reduce your cost with inflation. You don't have to pay for gas anymore <laughs> or pay for supercharging. So buy the X. So I talked myself into it. And ironically, fast forward now, in about two weeks, Tesla is going to write me a check for my car and take it back because it's a lemon and I'm stepping down to a Model Y, which is what I was going to get originally, except for I'm getting the performance model this time. Um, and I'm going to have $40,000 to probably renovate my medical building for a new tenant who wants to come in and do some stuff to the building. Okay. What about the uh, most expensive experience or trip that you've been on? Uh, probably last year, Italy blew about five grand and I was solo. Okay. What? Uh, what's a key lesson that you learned from childhood? You know, I learned to be fooled from my parents quite a bit. Um, what I didn't learn from them was investments and all the other things that I learned on my own. But frugality really helped saving and saving for a rainy day and having a reserve. Do you use a credit card? Absolutely. Never carry a belt. Okay. Luck, skill, hard work. How would you rank them? Uh, I'd say luck and skill is 40% each and 20% is hard work. Okay. What is a closely held belief that you once had that you recently changed? I don't know. Never thought about that one. I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. I want to give you a kind of a lame answer. What is the craziest thing that you've done to earn money? Trading options in significant amounts. Okay. When did you start trading options? Uh, that was probably 2017. Okay. So a lot of that's been in the last five to six years, I guess. Correct. Okay. Awesome. What is final pieces of advice for somebody who's just starting out on their journey? Boy, I would say if you're with an employee, they have a 401k program and they match it, max it as much as you can. If they don't, still save as much as you can. Live below your means no matter how much you make. I'm doing that today. I can live way larger than I do, but I don't. I don't need to. My goal is to blow up this money, leave some of it for my kid and give most of it away and spend it for, you know, on my way out. Um, so save, save, save and have a safety net and have a game plan, have different buckets. Awesome. That's Xerxes with a net worth of $8.2 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. And I'll be listening every week. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.